what I'm going to do today is I'm going to go back to make sure um, that we review some things because I am very much aware as a, as a teacher, professor, that, that if you hear something once, that does not mean you've learned it. If you have information, you've formed an idea, but that idea may inform you, but may not transform you. And that's what the whole purpose of the, of the scripture we want to look at. As we get back into uh, the overview, what I want you to see where we've been, what we've been looking at, is we've been looking at the book of Acts as our, as our panorama, and we're going through following Paul and better name, the book is better named The Acts of the Holy Spirit. But you see that Paul's taken off on the first journey into this area of, of Turkey up there in Asia Minor. And going back, I want to review a lot of what we said last week, but I want to amplify it a bit for you to understand that what Paul is doing in Galatia is he's introducing a whole new way of thinking, a whole new way of seeing that the Galatians had never thought about before. Like us, we will also identify the fact that there are two different camps, as Anthony Thistleton would say, there are two horizons. And if you're on a distant shore and you can see from afar, uh, you will operate on certain assumptions that you hold. We've talked about the idea that what we hold as our beliefs hold us, and our assumptive world is, uh, is where we think we find our truth and our meaning in our lives as we live out practically. But that's where the, the value of what you understand the gospel is, transformative, or that you have no idea what that means. And so the gospel simply can, becomes an, an optional belief system. We talked two weeks ago about having this frog in the well mindset, that if you are a frog in the well, you don't see larger than the well, you don't see the ocean, you don't see outside of your limitations. And, and yet I mentioned uh, in my little object lesson, remember this, for those of you who weren't there, a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, uh, Allison demonstrate that this little object, uh, this little thing, and this little thing together, uh, nobody here in the church knew what these two were because you've never seen them, you've never held them, you've, you have no experience, no one's told you about them. This is a samurai sword cleaning kit. And because you didn't know what these were, you cannot possibly understand the value and the meaning of these two things. Because one, you're not samurai. And two, you didn't cut off people's head and you needed a sharp sword. So that's not part of our world. But the idea is that if you don't know something that's brand new outside of your existence and your experience, you're going to struggle to figure out how does this fit in my world. And that's exactly the problem as you get into um, this study here in Galatians. Because I'm going to introduce things to you that's going to be like the samurai kit. It's going to be so shattering and so exciting. It's like, I want you just to enjoy it and say, I want more of that. 
And that's what's going on in Galatians. The problem is we tend to interpret Galatians through a Western mindset. Our glasses are very much an American built, not just a European West, but we have even a, a tainted American view as we think about that. And I talked about this two weeks ago about this is the hermeneutics. This is the way of interpretation. Like a doctor would get an x-ray. He has to read that x-ray. If he has a U.S. Constitution, you have a text, you read that text. But it's the reader that's reading that's the focus for me. You've got the text and you've got the context and you've got the reader And so how you enter into reading the Bible directly shapes how you understand what it means to be a Christian. And therefore, we are here at this point in Galatians 5, we are at the apex of Paul's argument in, in Galatians. And what he is saying to these young believers in Galatia who are internationals, who are not Jewish, who are Galatians uh, by birth, barbarians, Scythians, uh, those who are at Pentecost but who weren't Jewish, he says, you don't need to be circumcised. And they were saying, yes, you do. Our view says if you want to be completely God's people, marked as God's people, you need to do it the Jewish way. And Paul says, no, 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 no. We are eliminating and distancing ourselves because God is doing something brand new, like the samurai sword. This was absolutely, fundamentally challenging to everything they grew up with. And therefore, they don't have to bring out the old wineskins and make the Galatians conform to the old Jewish systems. And now, to hear this again and again, I'm saying to you as Americans, uh, you, won't, you won't appreciate this. You'll hear it go, uh-huh, uh-huh. Kind of like going through a museum and, and observing it at a distance. But I want to pull you right in to hear this because this is really radical. You are freed from the old system of having to... Uh, do it the Jewish way, because the Jewish way never led them to the faith in Christ uh, by keeping their Jewish traditions, by keeping the diet and by keeping the circumcision, by going to the church on Sunday and keeping the Sabbath. And and they had certain rituals that they would did that would define and mark them as Jewish, but that was not necessarily the only definition of the people of God. And so... What Paul was saying is, if you understand salvation and redemption, that that there's going to be a transformation in not only in who you are, but who you relate to and how you relate to the larger community. And Christ has set us free for a different kind of living, different kind of uh, Mindset, and we'll talk about that. And the Holy Spirit will then be the, the very instrument to lead you, and therefore he's going to do so from within, from your own spirit, and within the church, and from within the scriptures, and there's going to be a transformation that takes place. We lead new kingdom lives. You can have new life in Christ.
those seven words. But to do that, to understand the tension, you have to put on Mediterranean glasses. And by that, I mean I take Walt Russell's idea that when you put on glasses, and I see a number of you have glasses, uh, but the glasses, what you have, are prosthetics. Uh, they enable your human capacity to return to a level of capability that if you remove these glasses, your, your ability to see would be diminished. Likewise, for us, as you see, the glasses that Jesus would have would be the prosthetic of the Holy Spirit to help us see the kingdom. The glasses that Jesus had, the glasses that Paul had, the glasses that the Judaizers had, that they looked at Jesus and they looked at Paul, they saw different things. And the glasses of the Christians as well. And then you have to take into account the glasses of the unbeliever. And by glasses, we mean there's a, a way you process this information coming in through the eye but it's the way you're not only processing, but you're judging and evaluating and putting meaning and value on what you're hearing. I don't need that. I don't want that. Or I want that. I need that. And so this understanding is going to, um, your understanding, I hope, because of the, the word and the spirit and, and the teaching, your, your vision will become clearer so here, let me put it this way. Sandy and I were in Japan for 15 years, and, and last week when I went through this passage, I thought, duh. <laughs> uh, I taught cross-cultural communication for 15 years. Going cross-culture to understand another person means that you enter into the worldview and the language of the host country. Now you know this, uh, but let me ask you this to make my point. Who knows the Japanese better? The Americans or the Chinese? Chinese. Why would the Chinese know the Japanese better? They were invaded, <laughs> they've got some connection, that's true. Closer to their culture. Who knows the Mexicans better? The Canadians or the Koreans? Canadians probably because they're, again, proximally, uh, geographically closer. The same goes with the Brazilians, the Swedes or the Colombians. Who, who understands the Brazilian mindset better? The Colombians, of course. Okay, so you get this feel. How about the, um, the Saudi Arabians? The Lebanese or the South Africans? Yeah. And so this idea that the closer you are to the host country, the better you see it. Well, how about who knows the kingdom culture better? Those who are of the law or those who are of the spirit? But if you're not close to the spirit and you're closer to the law, you're gonna see the spirit with old glasses, and these glasses are gonna keep you from understanding what God wants you to see. So here's the point, what Paul saw as he went through his experience in the book of Acts, and what he, what he understood was he was now 
unbound by his own culture. And he became a man who was unbinding others to see differently. Now, we went over this last week, but I want to go over these points because I think they're so essential. And I don't know, I know you've, you, I know you heard it once, most of you did, but these are the five things that we'll, we want to look at again. And I want to, I want to amplify these in the next couple of weeks. The first one was the, the fact that there is a messianic era of redemption. And then we go to the spirit of freedom. We're going to be talking about the maturing in the spirit, what freedom meant back then, and what freedom means for us today as we get in, into these ideas. And remember that quote from Heraclitus? That no man ever steps in the same river twice, for it's not the same river and it's not the same man. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but it means that everything is changing. We're, we're comfortable. We're not com- we're familiar with everything changing. We don't necessarily like change, but we know that every, the only constant thing about change is change. And therefore, we understood last week that things get old. Military strategies, instruments and technologies, whether it's war, when you have the cannons going to replace these old things, things become obsolete. Same way with the strategies for the way the British fought the colonial, the Minutemen. There were different ways of entering into these two worlds that there was clashes. And, <clears throat> and as you know, things pass away. No more eight-track deck for your car or your home. We, we lose things and we replace them with new things. And my friend Al uh, Einstein says, uh, and this is one of my favorite quotes, the perfection of means and the confusion of goals seems to characterize our age. We are so interested in improvement and new technologies and new detergents. The perfection of means and the confusion of goals. What are we doing? Where, where are we going? Well, the idea that <clears throat> change happens, change in law, change in politics, change in our culture, but for Paul, as you understand uh, that there are things that are taking place that are always shifting your focus, that, that one guy, the monk I mentioned last week, uh, Giochino de Fiore, he said in his, in his mind, his view, that the way he looked at history was that there was the Old Testament, the age of the Father, the narratives of the Gospel, the age of Jesus, and then the Pentecost and the age of the Spirit. That was the Western mindset of analyzing and diagnosing how do you think about history and time. But this wasn't the way Paul's glasses saw things or Jesus did because when Jesus looked at time, He understood what Paul understood, that there were only two ages. And I hope you get this, so listen carefully. For Jesus and Paul, for the Hebrews, they only thought in two ages. There's the present evil age, outside of Adam, all the way till the coming of the Messiah. And the coming of the Messiah would bring about the future age, the reign of Christ. Two ages. But when Jesus came in, he would usher in that new age of the Messiah. We talked last week about Biff and, and uh, uh, the professor and, 
and, and Matthew Fox going back in time. And, uh, but back to the future, they went back in time to deal with their past. But the future for them was only the present. They didn't go beyond the present. They didn't, they couldn't. I don't think the time machine went that way. Maybe it did. But what I want you to hear is this. And, and this, uh, tuck this in your brain and put some the miracle grow on it. So, because what you've got is the future of heaven is coming back into our present time. In other words, God has interfered, interrupted, introduced the kingdom of heaven in part by coming in Christ. And Paul begins the Galatians says, he came to rescue you out of the present evil age. Now get that in mind. Because the Messiah says, I want to take from you anything that's destroying you. Any evil, any, anything that's blocking you from knowing me, I'm here to conquer and remove. When Jesus comes into the present evil age, you can count on the fact that the Messiah is King and Lord, is Aslan on the move, and he's out to destroy that which is destructive. And therefore, this messianic age says, if this old system is going to keep you from knowing me, I'm going to do away with the system and fulfill my purposes to bring you into the future age of the messianic reign. The future then has come in and it reorders our glasses to see things that we normally wouldn't see. And if you're a Christian in a church, in a traditional church, you may say, oh, that's interesting. You can't say that with this. Because if it doesn't touch and transform you, you haven't seen what Jesus and Paul saw. The Messiah has introduced to us a whole new way of thinking that the future judgment that what God would have you experience at the throne where you would be judged and condemned for your sin, that came into our human sphere on the cross. And when Jesus died, he forgave you from the future all the sins that you would ever commit ever in your lifetime. That's heaven thinking. That's futuristic thinking. That means you can now walk in freedom, not worrying, does God love you? Does God accept you? And so the idea that the Messiah says, yes, that's why I came to rescue you from the present evil age, so that you can be free to walk with me in the messianic realm. Now, I don't know if you get that. That's radical. But for the people back in Galatia who understood that there's a present evil age and now the kingdom of God is at hand and Jesus would introduce this. This is what Tom Wright would call the new exodus. As, as Israel left Egypt, so we leave the old flesh. We have a new exodus. And that's what Paul meant. That this present evil age is no longer going to control or define you. But that present evil age would give way to the age where God's will would be done. And so we pray the Lord's Prayer. Thy, uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done 
when? When I accept Jesus and go to heaven? No, no. And so if you understand that God is at war, involved as an adversary to Satan to attack and address and deliver and go after, you can't be passive in this thing, and neither was Paul. Paul was not trying to reproduce the old Judaic rabbinical system. He said there's something totally new here. I've walked away from that. And because of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, it broke open not only the Jewish folks and the Gentile folks, but the whole cosmos that when the Spirit of God came in, he was integrating heaven and earth into one, and all things would be given under the reign of the Messiah, but that Spirit would be given as a result of faith. And that faith is yours, and if that faith is alive, it makes you alive to the Spirit working that you would be seeing and saying things that God is at work in my life, God is at work in our lives, and those who have faith in Christ And it is not that we follow the Spirit, some spiritual disciplines to make us free. It's not that. But that we are set free by Christ. Galatians 5.1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. And therefore, in our freedom, we now are able to follow the Spirit. That's different. We don't get rewarded for following the Spirit. We are set free, and then we are rewarded. And so that whole idea is hard to get because if you are in certain cultures and you wear certain glasses, you see salvation is something that Jesus does, but sanctification is what I do. Therefore, I better get busy, and if I don't do my part, I'm going to lose my salvation. We believe that salvation is by faith, but we believe also that sanctification is by works. No, no, no. We've, our glasses are wrong. So what we need to understand is that Jesus saves. And if you're justified and you're considered righteous before God, it means there's no condemnation for you. We know that because of the cross when his nails were uh, nailed through his hands, so were your sins completely removed. No condemnation, no fear. And we know that Jesus now gives us new life because of the resurrection. And because of Christ, we know that baptism is not just a ritual that we do as Protestants, but that we go through things, and it, as, we, as we understand, there's life. Again, what do those glasses see? Just going to church, reading Bible study, discipline, moral. No, no, no. It's life. And so... Jesus saves, so does the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit saves as well in the sense that he sanctifies and transforms. He applies that message of the cross, makes it meaningful and relevant and valuable because it sets your mind and your spirit free and then you can follow Christ and move into a deeper knowledge and intimate maturity that you can say, I know the Lord, and the Lord knows me. I don't follow another voice. I am not just a Christian. I follow Christ. 
And that is radical because it's this Holy Spirit that aids us, helps us, guides us in knowing him by prompting us and, 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 and wanting to spend time with him in prayer, in the scriptures, in fellowship. And so the Holy Spirit brings us out of the, the, the immaturity into the wisdom and maturity of the mind of Christ. The Spirit of God is at work. That means that we move into maturing in the Holy Spirit. As the Spirit of Christ helps us grow, we find ourselves, I hope you find yourselves, encountering new promptings, new desires, new adventure, new, you're being called into the kingdom. You're called into different ways of thinking. And there are those who are far away from the kingdom those who don't know the kingdom, by proximal distance, they're out there, they don't know. And then those who are moving closer and closer and they get hotter and hotter and more alive, and they say, I didn't know this, I didn't know this. And so the, the Christian life becomes one of learning and change. And to be able to hear his voice and grow in, the, in listening and walking in the Holy Spirit again, is one of the great weaknesses of the Christian church in America. We know the Word of God. We know God the Father. We know Jesus Christ, the center is Lord. But historically, we haven't learned much about this. Without getting sensational or melodramatic or, or super hyper-spiritual with uh, different kind of miracles, it's this whole idea of just you're able to walk and follow because you discern the voice of the Spirit. Well, you might say, uh, Jerry, that's not my experience. I have no idea. I don't even want to go to church sometimes. I don't like the people in the church sometimes. I don't like to read the Bible. It's hard for me to pray. I don't want to witness it. And so you say, if that's what maturity is, I don't, it doesn't work for me. It doesn't float my boat. It doesn't ring my, I don't get it. And that person, though they may be Christian, has not matured in their understanding and their way of seeing isn't kingdom thinking, it's based on some other kind of thinking, which is what the Judaizers were saying, you have to do this, you have to do that. But to move into that, you have to understand something. As Paul would say here in Galatians 5, that the flesh sets its desires against the spirit. We understand that because of temptation and we're pulled by temptation. How well do you know when the Spirit touches your desire? It's a radical thing to understand that the Holy Spirit sets His desires against yours, against the flesh. And therefore, understand that the Holy Spirit is always at work pursuing, persuading, calling, uh, trying to pull you into, because the Spirit of God does set his desires against the flesh. What are you talking about? Well, that's what we're gonna get into next couple of weeks, because as Paul is saying, if you go to the circumcision, if you go to the tradition, you go to the old way, you're going to not mature. 
You're going to miss the blessings. You're gonna stay stuck over here and miss this over here. So what did freedom mean? What does freedom mean for the Galatians back then? If you understand that the Spirit of God that came into the Galatian church to set those people free, he set them free to love, as we read in Galatians 5.13. You were called to freedom. Therefore, do not turn your freedom into an opportunity of the flesh, but be transformed. And in your transformation, this is what it looks like as you mature in the Spirit back in Galatians. What it meant was this. It wasn't that they get to do whatever they wanted. That was what the libertines did. They already knew that. But they didn't know what it meant to be led by the Holy Spirit to let the Spirit of God lead them to their heart's desires. And following the Spirit, what happened, and in this context, it would mean this. You would know how to, one, enter into a group of people who are all in motion learning how to change in the Holy Spirit. That's what was going on. That somebody who was working on a ship in the port who was taking off fish or carrying boxes, who was a slave or a bondman, who, who was a, 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 a no-name, a marginal, the leper, the prostitute, those people who were not accepted, who would be considered unclean in the temple, they were Gentiles. There was a place for the Gentiles, and it was not in the temple. It was outside the temple. If you were a marginalized, uncouth, unacceptable person, you were brought in. And you were called brother. Smelly, fishing, worker, welcome, brother. And you were giving a spiritual gift. You were called no longer a slave. You were called family. That changed the whole social structure that the kingdom of God is not a vertical, top-down organization where you're at the bottom. It lifts you up. Women were no longer chattel. Women were given honor. People who were rejected and unacceptable were honored and made acceptable in Christ. And therefore, you understand the radical nature is there is not a single human being that you see with these glasses that is not unreachable, unredeemable. You have the glasses to say, I've got good news. You can be rescued and brought into the kingdom and therefore, welcome, brother, this is the story of Philemon, the slave who escaped. And Paul says, welcome him as a brother. If you understand what God is doing, and let me tell you this. This is really, this just hit me because Sandy's here. When we went to Aizu Wakamatsu, six hours north of Tokyo, city of 120,000, it was a place where the Christians went for the first time. And there on the hill north of Aizu in a little valley, they massacred every Christian and they threw them over the hill. And in the city hall, when we went there, on their information, they said this, I thought I couldn't believe this, that we could not allow for the Christians to come into our country because if we did what they said and that we would promote this priesthood of all believers, that everybody would be made an equal in the kingdom of God, you would destroy the samurai structure. And to have an equality that slave, servant were equal to the samurai 
was anathema to the Japanese. So they said, this threatens our system. Kill them. And they did. But for us as the kingdom people, if you see an African, if you see, if you see a Brazilian, if you see a Korean, if you see anybody, and they are called Christian and they are in the kingdom, they are your brother. They are your sister. They are family. How radical that was for someone who was a slave to say, me? You mean I get to sit at the table? I can come into the temple? With my mere shadow, you'd have to go get cleansed by the priest? And God says, that's all gone. If you understand what this is saying, racism would be gone. Black Lives Matter would be gone. Every life matter would begin. Because, and here's the call, the Spirit of God wants you to be honored. The Spirit of God wants you to be respected. The Spirit of God says, you are my image bearer. And therefore, anyone who dismisses and disregards you is not of the kingdom. Wow. That's what that meant for Galatians. It's like Paul was saying to the Galatians, you can't think the way you used to think that those Samaritans, those Phoenicians, those, those Philistines, those dirty dogs. Mm-mm. Paul says you're free to love and accept the unacceptable. That's grace. And therefore, when Paul says you are called to freedom, therefore, that freedom doesn't mean go do what you want. It means you are freedom to now accept the uncircumcised as brother. You are now free to accept the socially low and the socially immature and the socially ignorant and the socially whatever. You can bring them into the kingdom and you all have the same cross. You all have the same resurrection. You all have the same Lord and you all have the same Holy Spirit. That's radical. And so what God is saying that this future that's coming in to bring in the kingdom is setting up a whole new humanity. That humanity that Adam and Eve were supposed to have, you have a taste and you can reflect that the same Christ-like spirit that Christ said to his disciples, they're going to persecute you, they're going to persecute me, but you are salt and light and you be Christ everywhere you go. And that's what was given to the Gentiles. And it wasn't just being Jewish and conforming to those. It's like you are set free now to, and he had to say that because remember what Paul said? Remember what Jesus said? Go to all the nations and make them Jewish. No, he didn't say that. He says, go to all the nations and set them free. Make them learners. And teach them to obey in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it took time for Peter and the boys to understand that. Well, the whole passage of Galatians... He talks about the community of the flesh. If you walk in the flesh, you're going to think this way. The mindset of the flesh, Paul said in Romans, is going to be hostile, contemptuous, confliction, pugnacious. 
You're not going to have fun with a group of people who are always going to be fighting and divisive. That's the community of the flesh. And it's not about this duality of your spirit and my flesh or my spirit, which I've been taught. This is about two communities. Either you are in Christ and you know Christ, or you're not. Either you're the son of Hagar or the son of Abraham, Sarah and Abraham by faith or by law. This contrast is there. And so he was saying either you are in the spirit or you're not. This mind of the flesh is going to see it's about me. But that's why we need to have our glasses shifted from fleshly glasses to spirit glasses that we see that I am set free to love. I am set free. It's not just about the contrast that you're different or you have a different opinion. This isn't about you at all. This is about the community you identify with. And the community, which I'll talk about next week, is very much a cross-cultural experience for you and for me as Americans. What this meant would be this. You, you, well, how many identify yourselves as American Baptist? Uh, how many talk about it? You don't talk about American Baptist. You may talk about church, you may talk about Christ, but I bet you don't talk about American baptism to American Baptist to anybody outside of the church, right? Am I right or wrong? Probably right. And therefore, this group, we're not, American Baptist is who we are, we belong to, but that's not our identity, but we identify that. As much as you would say, I'm Democrat or I'm Republican, I'm a tag, I, I, I'm a Cleveland's Indian, I'm, I'm, I'm a sport, I'm a, if you use these tags to identify the group, you'll miss it. Would you say, I'm a spirit-led Christian? We don't talk about that either. And therefore, it's not about just a contrast it's about this freedom as Americans to identify with the kingdom people and the kingdom purposes. And those purposes involve your salvation, your sanctification, you taking the light out because you are called as Christians to follow the spirit of Christ wherever he leads. And therefore I would invite you to go cross-cultural to learn the language of the kingdom, to have the mindset of the spirit as we think about what freedom meant. The Greek word was eleutheria, which means, it's an amazing passage, it's about your desires being fulfilled and arriving at the point that you really want to be. In other words, let the Holy Spirit lead you to your heart's desires to fulfill the purposes of God in your life, in our lives. And therefore, we are called to freedom. And that freedom, you will either start here as an immature Christian listening to a distorted gospel or people who are influencing you, or you're learning to get in prayer, and you're learning to be with his people, and you're learning to be in the scriptures, and you're learning to learn about the gospel, and you're learning to say, transform me. That's what I want. I want to know you. And I want to know you well. I want to follow you maturely. Whew. That's Galatians 5. And therefore, you are free. 
whether you use your freedom in Christ to follow Christ or use your freedom in Christ to walk away. It's reflective of your maturity. Well, I'm going to leave you with this. In America, we tend to think individually, privately. It's me and Jesus. My Jesus, my Savior, me, me, me. I'm okay, but not kingdom people. Kingdom people think corporately. Kingdom people think church. Kingdom people think group. Kingdom people think others. It's not about me, it's about you. And therefore for Paul, the gospel community of faith was being pulled back into an inferior system of just self-centered, ethnocentric. But the Spirit of God says, we've got the whole nations to reach. So let go of that, embrace that. Therefore, use your freedom to serve. What does it mean to serve? Again, that you accept people as God does, you honor people as God would, and you begin to respect people because you love them, even though they're jerk centers, independent, stubborn, cusses, fighting, everything. You love well when you walk in the Spirit. That's what Paul's getting us into. So, well, that's enough for today. I wanted to make sure you hear that once or twice, but I want you to understand, if you don't understand what's going on here, you won't understand what's going on here. The same message that unbound Paul unbinds me, unbinds you. That same message you can take to people who are struggling in the darkness out there on their own, and they say, I don't need Jesus. Well, that's their glasses. If you said, have you ever thought about what it means, what the meaning and the value of the Bible is? Let me share with you. And that's what we're here for. The next, uh, next couple of years, what I would love to see is God use you and bless you to mature you, that you have a ministry of friends that you've said, I've told my friend about Christ. Just like Andrew brought Peter and just like the Philip brought the Ethiopian. Just you touch people one by one. That's going to happen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are doing such a, an unusual work. Thank you that you understand we are slow to learn. But you're, you're quite gracious and merciful. Thank you, Jesus, that you're the master teacher. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the one that brings us to remembrance of all that you did for us. And now, Lord, take us and uh, mature us as we abide in you. For your glory, we pray. Amen. Uh, it is... Uh